This is the Word of God from the household of David Church. It is a message designed to raise men after God's own heart. Listen and be blessed. Hallelujah. God is good at all the time. All right, I'm excited about this evening. Very excited about this evening. Sincerely want to thank my father, Pastor Shala, and my mother, Pastor Abigail Oshumakinde, for the opportunity to share God's word with you this evening. I trust that you'll be blessed. Amen. First Timothy chapter 2 and the fourth verse. First Timothy chapter 2 and the fourth verse. First Timothy 2 verse 4. I want us to read it all loudly together. One, two, let's go. Can we read verse 3 so that we have context, all right? Verse 3 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. John chapter 8, verse 32. John 8, 32. John 8, 32 is a very popular verse of the Bible. The Bible says, and can we read it together? One, two, let's go. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall, the truth shall what? I know there are some versions that say set you free, but I think this version is more accurate, right? The truth shall make you free. Amen. Can you please be seated in God's presence this evening? Hallelujah. Praise God forevermore. Now, this portion of the Bible, I believe, um, if you have a Bible that would denote the words of Jesus Christ in red, you would discover that this verse was written in red, meaning Jesus Christ said it himself. It wasn't someone quoting him. It was Jesus Christ saying it himself. He says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, when Jesus made this statement, he made this statement to the people who were physically present with him, and those who would be reading it thousands of years to come. Jesus knew we would read this verse. So when he said out loud, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, he was not mincing words. He was very clear about what he was saying. And I believe like every word of Jesus, this is one of those words that we should pay and we must pay attention to. Ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Why did I say that I like this version? And most versions will go with make you free, right? Um, I, I say that because if you understand what happened to us when we gave our lives to Christ, um, you would see that make you free is a lot more appropriate than set you free. In the book of Genesis, 
chapter 1, we begin to read about the creation and the recreation story. And then in chapter 2, we read that, uh, verse 15 specifically, after God made Adam, the Bible says, verse 15, God placed Adam in the garden for him to tend it and to keep it. Few verses later, God himself said, it is not good for man to be alone. And then went about creating the woman. And so it was the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, that were the first people in the garden, first human beings representing the human race. Praise God. And then verse 3 starts in a very interesting way of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent, talking about the devil, was more subtle than any beast of the field. And he came to the woman. And um, it's interesting because read this verse. It says, And he said unto the woman, Did not say unto the man. Because when God created Adam first, the Bible states explicitly, verses 16 and 17 of Genesis chapter 2, that he told man, he says, that you can eat freely of every tree in the garden. He says, save the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Amen. Now, when God said this to the man, the woman was not there. And the Bible says, God said, For the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So verse 3 comes, chapter 3 rather, comes. And the Bible says, the serpent went to the woman who was in there when God gave the original command. And he said unto the woman, Yea, and God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, hear what the woman said. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse 3, he says, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Was that what God said? Was that what God said? That wasn't what God said. Now, but when you read verse 4, you find the devil lecturing the woman on something very interesting. Verse 4, he says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Meaning, don't, don't believe what God said. Verse 5. <laughs> he says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, this is extremely interesting. Because... When you read the Bible, especially in the book of Psalms, I think Psalms 82, the Bible speaking says, ye are gods. This is David speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, ye are gods. I think when you go to verse 4, thereabout, he says, ye are gods and children of the Most High. Praise God. So when did, look at it. He says, I have said, ye are gods and all of you are children of the Most High. So when the devil comes to the woman and says, God knows that the day you eat of it, you shall be as gods. The devil was actually telling them, you will become what you already were. Now, after the devil told the woman that, the woman did not dispute it. The Bible says the woman looked at the fruit, saw it was good for food, and she ate it and gave it to her husband who was with her. So Adam was with Eve all along. The issue was that Adam never told Eve exactly what God said. 
So there was a knowledge gap. Somebody say knowledge gap. So the woman believed the lie of the devil. And you know, in a very interesting way, that same trick that the devil used in the garden, he's still using till today. So he comes to people and he challenges you based on your identity in Christ. He says, the day you eat of it, you shall be as God's tempting. Now, when you read the story, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, about the temptation of Jesus, the same thing. The devil comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, <laughs> turn the stones into bread. He wants to tempt Jesus, but he starts by questioning Jesus' identity. Because the goal of every temptation is to find out if you know who you are. That's the goal of every temptation. To find out if you know who you are. The woman did not know, so she fell for it. He says, came to Jesus, says, if you are the son of God, turn the stone. And I've heard people say that, you know, the accounts of Jesus' temptation in Matthew and Luke are the same. They are not the same. I mean, read it. They are not the same. In Matthew, the Bible tells us that it was after Jesus had fasted 40 days, then the devil came to him. In Luke, the Bible says, while he was fasting the 40 days, Jesus, the devil came to him. Meaning, the devil is always coming to tempt people. It is his ministry. <laughs> it's his ministry. Right? The fact that you declare a fast does not mean the devil will go and leave. And every time he comes, he would come starting by finding out if you know who you are. So, the Bible tells us that the woman ate the fruit, the man ate the fruit, and the Bible says they were both, their eyes were both opened, and they died. Not physically, but they died spiritually. There was a disconnection between them and God. Now, I don't want to go into, because that's not my focus tonight. So I'll just skip that, and just mention that when Adam ate the fruit, right? When the woman ate the fruit, nothing happened. When Adam ate the fruit, something happened. But let me go on. And the Bible tells us that from that moment, God began to look for a way to reconcile man back to himself. And of course, he did the smartest thing in the whole universe. He sent Jesus Christ to come. When Jesus arrived on the face of the earth, the Bible shows us in different ways. Matthew, Mark, Luke, you know, John, the Bible shows us how Jesus lived on the face of the earth. What Jesus was doing was that Jesus was showing us the prototype. He was showing us how to live. He was showing us how to be partakers of the divine life. He was showing us how to live as gods. Jesus was showing us how to live above lack. So much so that the Bible tells us that... <laughs> At a particular time, Jesus needed to pay taxes. And Jesus told Peter, he says, go to the, you know, to the lake nearby, catch a fish, open the mouth of the fish, you see a coin, pay for you, the tax for yourself and myself. Jesus was walking one day and he met a woman who was crying because her son had just died, her only son. The Bible says Jesus touched the buyer, the coffin, and the woman's son came back to life. He was showing us 
how to live. Jesus was showing us how to live a life above lack, how to live a life of discernment. Now, have you ever asked yourself this? If Jesus, or sorry, God, told Adam in the garden that the day you eat of this fruit, you shall, I mean, you shall be exposed to the knowledge of good and evil. Then what kind of knowledge was Adam living with or living by before he ate the fruit? I'll tell you. He was living by the knowledge of rightness. Because rightness is superior to good and evil. Let me explain what I mean. You can have five fruits. They would all look good. But there is one of them that is healthy on the inside. The other ones look good on the outside. But you see, when you go within, how many people have bought oranges like that? Very good looking succulent oranges. By the time you open it, I put it, you discover that there is no water. I don't know how many of you have eaten. You've seen those. Aha. So it looked very good. Now, and there is no way to test. You can't go. <laughs> you can't go to the malam and say, let me taste this one. <laughs> I taste, ah, this one doesn't have water. Let me taste this one. You can't do that, right? You buy it on risk. You take the risk. You just buy five. And you go and try, try it out at home. Now, but do you know that this orange seller can have 50 oranges that all look good, but two are not only good, but they have a lot of water on the inside. How do you know the one with the water on the inside without necessarily tasting it first? How do you know? Huh? Rightness. The knowledge of rightness. That is what is called righteousness. The knowledge of rightness. You have five job applications. You send out. Number one, how do you even know where to send? So that you are not, you know, there are some people that have become professional application senders. You know, send, send, send every day. In fact, they already know you. <laughs> even Gmail knows that you are sending again. <laughs> So as you type, hello, they just give you the, is this what you want to type? <laughs> you know, how do you know the job to apply for? How do you know there is Ronke and there is Kemi? Both of them are beautiful and they are in the choir. They sing well. How do you know which of them is your wife? Yeah. Why did you change the key? Why did you? <laughs> <laughs> this is why you need to never not say anything. <laughs> it's the knowledge of rightness. You want to relocate to a city. In fact, they gave you visa. They gave you everything. How do you know whether you should go or not go? It looks very good. It's the knowledge of rightness. That was what Adam was living by. Then he had the fruit. So he had to now start wondering, okay, this one looks good. It doesn't look good. He started to live based on his senses. So Jesus comes and he lives and shows us how we should display the divine nature. And then Jesus goes to the cross to die for our sins. 
Now the Bible tells us when he hung on the cross, a lot of things were happening. The Bible says God made him to be seen for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So as he hung on the cross, he was representative of every human being. The same way Adam was representative of every human being, Jesus came as a representative of every human being. And as he hung on the cross, was whipped, was lashed, was... I mean, the Bible tells us that his countenance was murdered. Meaning that even the passion of the Christ cannot describe what they did to Jesus on our behalf. And then Jesus died. Somebody say he died. And when he died, telling us what happened those three days that he went to, he went to hell. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 15, having spoiled principalities and powers. A version says having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. You know what it says? That word spoiled means to throw off from himself. I'm sure when he got to hell, because he was carrying the sins of the world. All of it. And the Bible says when, when the devils looked at him, they said, ah, he has come. He said when he was alive that he will rise in three days. Let's ensure he does not rise. Because that word disarm, that word spot means to throw off from yourself. So all the devils in hell, I'm sure, came and they sat on him and said, this one must not rise. But you see, there is something called the power of the Holy Ghost. Nothing can hold someone who the Holy Ghost is at work in their lives down. The Holy Spirit invaded hell. And the Bible says Jesus disarmed. He threw off from himself principalities and powers. Made a show of them. Made a public spectacle of them. I don't want to go into the details of this. This is exciting. But then Jesus rose. And you know, if all that Jesus did was to die, he would have done enough. Because hope you understand, and pastor has been preaching it and telling us about it. When Jesus died, he shed his blood. <laughs> that blood did not only atone for our sins, but the blood remitted sin. Now, let me explain the difference. Atonement means to cover. So, for example, I can bring a cloth here and I cover this podium. Now, what I have done, I have covered, right? But the podium is still there. If there is a stain on the podium, what the cloth will do is to cover it. It hasn't taken care of the stain. That's what they were doing in the Old Testament. When they were killing the blood, the rams, they were killing goats, killing all of that. They were covering sin, covering sin, atonement. But you see, when Jesus came, the Bible says his, his, his own blood was superior. <laughs> superior because Jesus' blood did not cover. Jesus' blood wiped away wiped it away so if you read colossians chapter 2 you go to 1 verse up 14 he says blotting out the handwriting that was against us do you now understand it he blotted it out took it out took care of it once and for all out so jesus died if all he did was to die it would have been powerful enough powerful enough but you see jesus understood that after I die, right, and have remitted sins for the people, taking care of sin, 
I do not do one more thing. There is the possibility of them living defeated lives, even though I have done a great work on their behalf. So Jesus rose. Now, what is the significance of Jesus rising? Gives us access to become new creatures in Christ. So we can become born again children of God. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, is a new creature. So when you give your life to Christ, you've become new. You are a new creature. New creature. That's what the Bible tells us. And what is the implication of this? It means that you were born free. You didn't hear me. It means that you were born free. You are free from sin, sickness, death, poverty. You're born free. You are free born. <laughs> you are born a new creature. The Holy Spirit now resides on your inside. And because the Holy Spirit now resides on your inside and you are a new creature, the Bible says you are saved. I mean, you, are, you, are, you have been separated unto God. With that understanding, John 8, 32 says, and ye shall know the truth. You know why? Because even though there are lots of individuals and, and believers who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior, all that Jesus did for them is not reflected in their lives. They are still living defeated lives in different aspects and different areas of their lives. That is one set. The other set is individuals who are not participating in what we've called the divine nature. Participating in the divine life. Doing things that are in tandem with the kingdom that we've been born into. Now you see, when you got born again, you were born into a kingdom. You were translated, moved into a kingdom. Colossians says that. He says 114, I think. Says you were born into a kingdom. Now, when you become a citizen of the kingdom of God, there are rights and privileges that you have. There are things you can do. For example, all of most of us that are sitting here, let me not say all of us, most of us that are sitting here, we carry a green passport. We carry a Nigerian passport. Now, there are certain things you cannot do outside Nigeria. In fact, you might not be able to travel outside Nigeria except you get a visa. And even when you get a visa, you go outside the country, they say, there are things that are the rights of the citizens of the United States of America, for example. If you do not have a green passport, or oh, sorry, uh, the, the, the passport, the blue passport, you do not have those rights. If you are a Nigerian, once you walk back into Nigeria, there are rights you have. There are things you can do because this is your country. Amen? Now, there are believers who have been translated into the kingdom of God you are not exercising your rights. There are things you can do. You know, I'm sure Solomon, maybe he saw this by revelation. He must have thought about this. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, I think from verses seven, 5 thereabouts to 7, he says, there is an evil I have seen under the sun. <laughs> he does the way he says, he says, there is an evil I have seen under the sun and an error which proceeded from the ruler. Verse 6, he says, Verse 6, please. He says, 
folly is set in great places. I mean, he's describing. He says, and the rich sit in low places. Verse 7. You know what he says? He says, and I see servants are walking are on horses. Why princes are walking as servants upon the earth? Individuals who are supposed to be enjoying their rights and privileges in Christ. They are walking as though they have no rights. And you know, Jesus then tells us the next thing we need to do. You have been born again, saved. There is one thing you need to pursue very strongly. And that is the knowledge of the truth. You know how Peter says it in 2 Peter rather. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. 2 Peter 1 4. This is the way Peter says, he says, whereby giving unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, by those promises, he says, we might be part takers in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through loss. People have escaped the corruption that is the world through loss, but they are not living as partakers of the divine nature. Amen. Praise God. So we go back to that verse. He says, God's desire is that all men be saved. That is one. But after salvation, the next thing that God is God's greatest desire is that all men come to the knowledge of the truth. It is the knowledge of the truth that enthrones us in this kingdom. It is the knowledge of the truth that positions us to live victorious lives it is the knowledge of the truth that makes sure we live out our rights and privileges as sons and daughters of this kingdom if you are a member of this kingdom and you do not have the knowledge of the truth you can live as though you are not even a daughter or a son in the kingdom it is the knowledge of the truth. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And let me explain this. You see, imagine someone who is in prison. Now the person is in prison and then um, they look at the person and the judge says, you know what? I forgive you. All the sins have been cleared. I mean, you've served a few years. Everything has been cleared. You are free to go. Now, this person has, at that point, what has happened to the person? The person has been set free, isn't it? But you know, that individual can still be living like an individual who is not free. The person can be living. There is this very interesting movie. I don't know how many of us have seen it. I think the title of the movie is Shoshank Redemption or something. Have, have you seen it? Very interesting movie. A guy who dug from a prison, dug underneath and escaped 50 yards of, of poo Praise God. You know, in that movie, there was one of the guys that they freed. He had been in jail for many years. I can't remember how many years now. But when they freed him, he came out. Um, they gave him a room. They gave him a job. He looked at everything. When he was going into prison, there were no cars. So when they freed him, he was seeing cars. He was shocked. When he was going into prison, there was a way the city was. When they freed him, the city had developed. So he looked at it, looked at it, and said, ah, I, I cannot acclimatize to this environment. And you know what the guy did? He killed himself. He said, this is too much for me. <laughs> That's a man that has been set free, but he's not living free. 
what would the truth do? The truth would help you to live free. That freedom that God has purchased for you, you live it. He says the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. It is the knowledge of the truth. Now, what is truth? And I think Pilate asks Jesus this question as I begin to round up. What is truth? <laughs> it's a very powerful question. Because a lot of people do not know what truth is. What is truth? You know, before I tell you what truth is, and I always like the Bible defining things. Now, in John 8, 44, the Bible tells us, describing the character and the nature of the devil. John 8, 44, it says, I mean, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he says, yeah, of your father, the devil. <laughs> and the lust of your father, you will do. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, describing the devil. He says, and abode not in the truth. Can you see it? So that means the devil does not abide in truth. Now he says, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. It is, <laughs> so that means everything the devil says about you, everything the devil says about your job, Everything the devil says about your family. Everything the devil says about your future. Everything the devil says about your circumstance is a lie. He says when he speaketh, it is natural with him. It, it, it just flows. He says for he is a liar and the father of it is the source of it. What is truth? <laughs> John 17, 17. Jesus said, sanctify them, praying to God. And, and I think this verse is what is, chapter is what is supposed to be called the Lord's Prayer. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Come on, somebody read the next phrase. It says, thy word is what? Is truth. Everything the devil says about you is a lie. What is truth? Everything that God says about you is the truth. Everything the devil says about you is a lie. As a matter of fact, the way to know <laughs> is a lie is if the devil is saying it or suggesting it. Ah! I perceive there is someone you keep having that sense that maybe I will just die. Sense? It is a lie, oh. It's a lie. It's a lie. You know what God says about you? He says, I will live and not die to declare the goodness of the Lord. What is truth? Is it what your bank account is saying? I hope you know circumstances can echo the voice of the devil. Is it what your bank account is saying that is the truth about your finances? Is it what anybody else they might have looked at you and said you know when we're giving back to you we had planned to stop oh you just came <laughs> so, so they, without that's a nice way of telling you yeah a mistake oh. error <laughs> you just came ah or is it you 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 look you look at your life right now and very honestly very honestly you look at the future and you say ah when and how can I ever make it? 
you look at your salary 40,000, 60,000 you look at what the economy is saying say see all of these things when we come to church they are just trying to make us happy say well you know don't become like Karl Marx you know what Karl Marx said he said religion is the opium of the masses you know what it means it means that when you want to make the masses happy, just start talking to them about religion. <laughs> when they go home, they now face reality. <laughs> but you see, thy word is truth. Thy word is reality. That is the real reality. Because the way it works in this, our kingdom, is that when you know the truth, so it is the truth in itself would not make you free. It is the knowledge of the truth and then you acting on that knowledge that will make you free. Amen. So, it is not just the truth. Now, the way it works in this kingdom is that when you know the truth, you believe the truth, you begin to become the truth. Hallelujah. You begin to become what the word of God is saying about you. For example, the Bible says concerning us, and I don't know, I feel a sense that we should read this verse. Ephesians chapter 1. I want us to just read it from Ephesians chapter 1. Maybe from verse 16 there about Ephesians chapter 1. I want to tell you the truth about you. Right? He says, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Verse 17. Just keep going. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You can see it again. In the knowledge of him. Because knowledge is what reigns in this kingdom. There are people that are ignorant about their rights. You ask them, say, oh, I'm tired of life. What has, why are you tired of life? Um, I'm looking at my finances. This thing is not just adding up. Okay. What do you know? From the truth about your finances. Nothing. Say, oh, and you know, I've been feeling this way in my body. What do you know about the truth where your health is concerned? Oh, I mean, the future. Well, we trust God that the future will be bright. Do you have knowledge of the truth about the future? What do you know? And then he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of God, he may give unto you the revelation of the spirit of, spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Verse 18. He says the eyes of your understanding. Now, follow me carefully here. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Another version says being flooded with light. Being flooded with truth. That ye may know. You see it again. No. So you are finding no, no. Knowledge, no. That is the way it works with God. That what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance? In the sense, the saints have riches. But do you know? Do you know? Verse 19. And what is the exceeding power, greatness of his power rather, to us who do believe according to the working of his mighty power? Verse 20. He says, now begin to what, read this carefully. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Verse 21. Far, somebody say far above. Now, where is Christ seated? 
far above principality, power, might, dominion, and every name. I like this part. Every name that is named. That means anything you can give a name to. Is it cancer? Seated far above. Is it what is it? Poverty? Far above. Anything that has a name. Anything. Anything. Say, oh, there is this oppression in my family. It has a name. So Christ is seated far above. He says, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Verse 22. And I put all things. Somebody say all things. Under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Now go to the next verse. Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all the Lord. Are you a member of the body of Christ? Are you sure? Are you sure? Now let's go to chapter 2. Chapter 2 verse 1. I like the way it starts. He says, and you. You see, I've been talking about Jesus seated far above. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Then Paul says, and you. At he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world. So a lot of people read this and the first thing they are thinking about, course of this world means sin. And No, no. It means that, but it also means anything associated with the things that can happen to you by virtue of being in this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which thou walketh in children of disobedience. Go on. Among whom, go on, just go on. Go on, go to the next verse. He says, but God who is rich in mercy. Ah, for his great love wherein he loved us. I mean, these are scriptures that makes me want to shout. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, at quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. Now, I want us to read verse 6 together. One, two, go. He's raised us up together. Together. Where are you seated? Where are you seated? So it is not only Christ that is seated far above. You are also seated far above. He says he has raised us up together. And made us to sit together. Ah. He says you are seated together. You sit. It means you are in a position of authority, isn't it? You are in a position of comfort. You don't, you, you don't sit when things are going haywire around you. He says we are seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So everything, this is the truth of God's word concerning you. Everything that does not look like Christ, everything that has a name, whether it be in your body, whether it be your money, circumstance, whatever it is, is the Bible says, the truth is, you are seated far above. The question is that, do you know? Do you know? Has it become a reality to you that you are seated far above? If it has not, the scripture I started with, it is God's desire that you know the truth. You must know it enough to begin to experience it in every area of your life. The truth of God's word is our path to victory. Can we rise up on our feet this evening? That's our path to victory. That's our path to victory. That's our path to victory. In every area of our lives. While standing, can you just begin to rededicate yourself, rather, 
to the pursuit of the truth. Some people would rather do everything else than pursue truth. You can't find the truth on social media. I mean, and <laughs> they cannot impart the truth to you. Somebody cannot lay hands on you. And you are, the truth just comes. No, no, no. You, you have to search for the truth. You have to gain knowledge of the truth. You have to gain knowledge of the truth. That is how we live this life. We've been born free, but we must live free. And it is the truth that will make us live free in every area of our lives. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, this evening we rededicate ourselves to the truth of God's word. The pursuit of the truth of your word. We understand that this is how to transform our lives. This is how to live the life that you came. You lived, you died for, and you resurrected for. This is how. Father, we thank you. We choose this evening that we would not believe the lie of the devil. I say no to every lie of the devil. And I say yes to truth. In the precious name of Jesus. Thank you for being a part of our broadcast. You know, we never like to end without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Coming into Christ is beyond joining a church, is beyond a religion. It is joining God's family. And that is done when you believe in Christ Jesus. So I just want to lead you right away now. If you are, if you want to give your heart to Christ, just say after me, say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again and that you paid for my sins. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. And from today, I belong to you. If you have said those words, will be late, you are born again, you are part of God's family right now. You can go ahead and rejoice about it. God bless you. We love you. Stay blessed.